wrestling with my brother. We got a podcast, yeah. Wrestling with my brother. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that's been MIA. That's missing in action, not misfits in action from WCW. It's wrestling with my brother. That was nice. For someone who literally just said off air, you haven't got a clue what you're going to do on this episode. That was that was smooth. Thank you. Smooth is one of my many middle names. Darren Smooth Criminal Evans. How are you, brother? Brother? Good. We've been away quite a while, haven't we? I bet all our fans have missed us. <laughs> Fan? Yeah, we've been away. Shit's, uh, shit's happening. They've been banging on the doors, to be honest, and the windows. I've had to... Uh, yeah, put myself on lockdown, eh, TNA. But yeah, we're back, we're back. I mean, Jesus Christ, wrestling hasn't stopped since we've been away, is it? I mean, we could fill an episode just with news, bloody Jeff Hardy dicking about, CM Useless Punk becoming the new AEW champion, and then vacating it a week later. Bloody hell. Me queuing for 40 minutes in a digital queue to get tickets for... Um... Camry Carnage or whatever it's called, WWE's uh, Clash at the Castle, only to decide that actually it's way too expensive and we're not going to do that. No, so CM Punk, are oh, you useless? Retire, mate. Seriously, retire. Like, he, he, he beat Adam Page at uh, the latest pay-per-view Double or Nothing, and it was amazing. The, the show was just phenomenal, but, oh, God, he's just so old now. And, uh, yeah, then he had a, a match... Uh, following that on TV and uh, <laughs> there was a hot tag and he tried to be clever and jump on the top rope and do like a springboard thing and he fucked it up and his face, he was livid with himself and everyone's saying, Christ, you've only been the champ for a few days, you can't even make a hot tag. And then yeah, he broke his foot and he's off now. Is so, he still champion now? Uh, no, he's uh, well, he, he's kind of vacated it. There's an interim championship tournament going on so the number one contender is John Mother effing Moxley, and they're having a tournament to decide who is going to face him at the next year. Uh, oh, a W pay per view Forbidden Door, where they've uh partnered with New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's the first time in AW history they've gone back to back pay per views, so that's very exciting. If you like that sort of thing, yes, it is. What wrestling, yeah, it's all right, we like it. Anyway, good job as well. Yeah, <laughs> that all worked out. So, a little dicky tells me there's a new segment. Is that right? New feature. We were getting bored of the old one, so we came up with a new one. Probably going to need a little bit of explaining, but uh, we've got a lovely little jingle for it. What's it called? Who would win? <laughs> now, whenever we whenever we do the jingles, because we know what it is, we mouth the words to each other silently. Because <laughs> this one is brand new and we can't remember what it was. We look like a couple of turds then, like... <laughs> Brilliant. So yes, this new segment is called Who Would Win? And to give you a little bit of... Uh, well, just a bit of info about it, really. This is where we play fantasy bookers, essentially. Now, before you say anything, I know all the matches are predetermined. <sighs> Shocker alert. Um, but this idea, 
just came about because I'm kind of a purist and, you know, when we used to play wrestling games back in the day, it had to be two current wrestlers who could plausibly wrestle each other. Whereas you would just pick some randomer from the 80s, which is like modern day. And I'm like, this would never happen, bro. And you're like, oh, lighten up, will you? This is the joy of wrestling. Well, we're bringing that back. So this is basically any wrestler from any era, any time, <laughs> so like Michael Scott, any place, anywhere, for any reason, facing off against another wrestler. So we, we put the match together, essentially, and we discuss who we think would win. Not by, you know, any kind of sports-related thing, but who would we book to win and why? So It's, a, it's the simplicity about it that I love. It's the fact that I can explain it in such few words that gets across the concept. Anyway, my first pick, who would win, Brother Darren, out of the Ultimate Warrior? Obviously, back in the day, I don't want no bloody WCW shit. Back in the day versus WCW Goldberg. That's a really interesting one because they were booked very similarly in terms of their hype, their intro their overall demeanour, their squash record. You know, they were booked, when they were booked well, to hide their limitations in the ring. And we've talked that about that yeah. in terms of Goldberg many times on this podcast before. So, yeah. Okay, so peak WWF warrior versus peak WCW Goldberg. Pretty much. And obviously we've covered when Goldberg fought William Regal and he was out-wrestled, out-classed, out-manoeuvred. Like you said, these, these are pretty much brawns over technique, these two wrestlers. So, yeah, if, if they were facing each other, who would you who would you have win? Why? I think it would have to be Goldberg because he was on the streak, you know, when he was in his at his peak, whereas Warrior had lost some matches his, his win-loss record was slightly more balanced than Goldberg's. I think I'd book Goldberg to win after taking, you know, a massive shock straight away from Warrior. Like, he wouldn't be expecting the intensity that Warrior would bring. And, uh, you know, he'd be <laughs> lifting his arms up and doing all that sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think he, he Goldberg would be shocked. But ultimately, I think he would overcome... How would you book that? What do you think? I'm really pleased you said that because I, for once, would go the complete opposite. I hated the way Goldberg lost his streak. Bloody just being tasered by Scott Hall and then Kevin Nash pinning him. Of course, it was going to happen with the stupid politics. I'd have Warrior finally end the streak. The only person who was, like you said, same physique, same hype, same intensity, those two going up against each other, I'd have Warrior beat Goldberg you know it, it would be back and forth but I'd have him then go on to start his own streak because obviously the streak is quite a modern idea you didn't really see the streak you know back in the, the golden era of wrestling you didn't see Hulk Hogan go on a bloody 500 match winning streak so Warrior would then have the opportunity to go on his own streak and just be this this unstoppable force so interesting they, yeah well you know if people decide this is a dog shit segment, then uh, we'll go back to uh, Would You Rather next week. But... <laughs> if you if you hate it, that's it. We're all out of ideas. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, shit or best for this one. Who would win? 
yeah, this is my first clip of the week. And this is Scott Hall in ECW. Scott Hall, ECW. That's as different to wrap your head around as garlic bread. That is garlic bread. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The Outsiders' completely surprising debut in the Land of Extreme took place in November 2000 to an enormous pop. Coming out to the Fugees was just, (laughs) I said Fugees then, Fugees (laughs) was a stroke of genius. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. That pop, crazy, even though the crowd has been brainwashed into despising WCW. I mean, how much of a crazy crowd reaction was that? Scott Hall was everything that was that era of WWF. And then he formed the Outsiders and then the MWO. He was the antithesis of both of those humongous corporations. And now he's in a little indie promotion called ECW. But uh, yeah, who was his first opponent? You know, the legend that is Scott Hall. Rhino? Jerry Lynn, maybe? Even the Sandman? Nope. Big fucking Sal. (laughs) What the hell? And lost! He didn't even beat him! Sal is a manager. Literally, all the chant is, you fuck, fuck, you fuck, fuck, and where's my pizza? That's He's just a manager who's a gargantuan of a man. I've seen him in like a handful of matches and he fucking beats Scott Hall. What is going on? The match itself is, uh, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Let's be fair. I think the craziest thing, being a WWE wrestler, doing a WWE DX crotch chop in an ECW ring. That was a bit uh, bit bizarre. He did go on to wrestle uh, Just Incredible, though, which is uh, quite a good match. Um, they were kind of road buddies back in the day, so I might feature that in a, in a later pod. But, yeah, I just... Again, match was utter shit. We're not going to break that down, but it was just that pop and that, like, that he should not be here. This doesn't feel right. But what do you think? Well, you know that one of my favourite things in life is to correct people. Um, so I'm going to correct you. This wasn't actually his first match in ECW because I, I looked this up to see if he had a run or whether it was just this one-off appearance. And he actually had three matches. So he teamed up the night before a house show with Jerry Lynn to defeat Just Incredible and Rhino. And then this was the following night in which he had two matches in one night, one to Sal, and then uh, which he lost, and one which he defeated just incredible. I hate you. So, no, you don't. You, you love me. You love this. End it there. Then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree with you. I love the Fuji's ready or not. Great tune. I mean, I couldn't hear anything he was saying because this was recorded on a potato. But uh, <laughs> I think I got something, something Paul Heyman, something, something just incredible, something, something ECW, and a massive cheer. And that was it. You couldn't hear anything over the crowd. Well, that's, that's great. All I go is, hey, yo, I lost it after that. <laughs> I was trying to listen and I just gave up. I thought, this is pointless. I did hear the crowd quite clearly shout, you fat fuck at Sal, though. So there was that. 
Yeah. And I, I love how he started to do his big moves on the little guys at the end because there was no way he was going <laughs> to get in that fat fuck yeah. into the razor's edge. No way. <laughs> oh, God. Pizza cutter edge, as we'd have to call it. Good. I like it. But yeah, we've talked before about when big stars go to smaller promotions and get a huge pop, and it, it seems incongruous. But I think it works in a way because those people almost just like, they're saying we really respect you for sh- showing love to our promotion for just turning up here, even though normally, you know, we, we would look down on you. And actually it's the other way around. I think a lot of the time, the bigger promotion fans um, would give a hard time to the, the newbies coming up because they would feel like well, you're not worthy of us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's always interesting that dynamic, but Scott Hall and ECW, no idea until you shared this clip that that had ever happened but i'm glad it did well yeah i mean it i don't know if, if it was ever meant to lead to something else he was obviously battling a lot of substance issues in the early 2000s and yeah it was just a fucking mess at that point but yeah i don't know if it was meant to lead to more maybe his uh, promo would have alluded to it but oh we gotta do you so well according to a feature on inside the ropes wrestling which is where i got that um, information from this was nine months after he'd left WCW um, he lost a three-way match for the championship at Super Brawl X against Sid Vicious and Jeff Jarrett um, and then this this was nine months later he turned up um, and then after that he went to New Japan Pro Wrestling um, and then two years following this he reformed the NWO in uh, WWE and took the best stunner we've ever seen anyone take. Yes, we've never featured that much, have we? Well, put it put it down. There are. It's a shame that we. Ha- I don't think we'd featured a match with him, and then it's you know sadly he passed away. And all I all I can see now is Scott Hall matches. Every time I go online, is they're all coming to the surface. So yeah, yeah, he was good. I mean, this wasn't a good showcase of his skills, talent, or ability in the ring. Um, no. And certainly not on the mic because you couldn't hear a word of it. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting little historical anomaly. Put it that way. You're welcome. Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's move on to my first clip, and this is Jeff Hardy versus Randy Orton at Hell in a Cell 2018. This is sick. This is vile. What is Orton going to do? Oh, oh, and again, his finger in the ear of Jeff Hardy. Randy Orton may tear the loose. What is Pete? No, 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 Stop do this. Randy, Randy putting a screwdriver through the ear. Oh, my God. Now, you did mention it at the top of the show, but I suppose I should start by talking about Jeff Hardy because we're recording this the day after he was arrested for allegedly driving under the influence for the third time. Obviously, we've featured loads of uh, Jeff Hardy matches on this podcast, good and bad, mostly good, let's be honest. And we're both big fans of him and the Hardy Boys. But we've also talked about his issues before 
and just sincerely, genuinely hope that he gets the help that he needs to overcome whatever difficulties he's going through because he's obviously not in a good place. Yeah, the match at um, Double or Nothing was dreadful. Halfway through, I turned to my wife and I'm like, is he is he high again? Like he, he, he got a few moves in, then he was led down in the corner. So you imagine where the, where the turnbuckles are, but he was inside the ring kind of, he was just led there for like the, the second half of the match. Matt had to carry him. And it is sad because they, they're both old. Like you can tell when a wrestler's getting on where by how long it takes them to get their feet. Like when they're down, oh, it's, oh, it's awkward just seeing them just slowly get up. But, you know, Matt is getting on. He's a lot, lot slower. And obviously the, the high bumps he's taken. But he, he carried that match. And then all of a sudden, as soon as they won, Jeff kind of got up miraculously and he's in the crowd doing some weird celebration of the crowd. And Matt's kind of there going, this is odd. I don't, but he was, he was just dead. Jeff was out on his feet. It's unbelievable. He's, he's given so many chances. And yeah, I just read a statement from Tony Khan then saying, uh, you know, we'll give him the help that he needs. We'll support him, but he's not allowed back. You know, he's on unpaid leave until he sorts himself out. And yeah, it, it is victory road all over again, it seems. And, you know, you, you talk about drugs in wrestling, modern wrestling, you think RVD. Did you see him? He had a match the other day. He's in his bloody 50s in Japan. He was smashing it. He was he was better than ever. And he's as high as a kite. Uh, there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. Jeff is just... He is literally a car crash at the minute, which is really sad, but yeah. Yeah, very unfortunate. And it's a coincidence because I picked this clip a long time ago, but I think we should still go ahead with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, this this took place in Jeff's second return to WWE in 2018. Brutal Hell in the Cell match with one particular gruesome incident, which I will get on to shortly. Um there were some really interesting and innovative moves here. You know, you, you're in 2018, so this is 20 years of Hell in the Cell, 20 years, 20 plus years of, you know, brutal matches. And for a PG era match, this was quite surprisingly violent. And still, you know, Jeff pulling out lots of innovation. So the table surfboard, two minutes 30, you know, we've seen some really unique things with tables, but that was a new one on me. Yeah. And then, uh, likewise, um, when Orton throws Hardy into that inverted upturned ladder at the nine minute mark. Never seen anything like that before. You know, we've seen ladders on the floor and people being trapped between them, things like that. But yeah, nothing like that. That looked very painful. Um, but yeah, my God, the screwdriver. Ugh. This I saw a clip of this on, I think it was Instagram on some account. And I was like, what, when did this happen? Well, I can't believe this happened as recently as 2018 because that, was so graphic for the current era of WWE to see somebody's earlobe being stretched out and twisted yeah. by somebody with a screwdriver. I mean, that's straight out of CZW, let alone yeah. like the Attitude Era, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then if that wasn't bad enough, Orton lost a chunk of flesh from his leg. Yeah. Absolutely gross. Now I'm going to do something now. I don't know if you've seen the photo that he shared on his Instagram, but I am going to send it to you now for a live podcast reaction. How are you going to, what are you sending it via? Just sent it to you via WhatsApp. Okay. 
Jesus fucking Christ, is a chest. Oh, <laughs> is that the skin? What's that? That's a big chunk of flesh, not skin, flesh. It was ripped out of his leg because you can see at one point late in the match, they, they talk about his injured leg and you can see something hanging off. And I thought there was like a splinter of wood in there or something. But it turns out just gouged a massive hole in. That was the flesh that came out after the match. Oh, like he might have been artery there. Like how thick that blood is as well. That's not easy to vein or something. That is fucking rank. Jesus <laughs> Christ, Randy. That that makes me about as far away from Randy <laughs> as you can get. Uh, oh, I'm glad I had that reaction on you because I I didn't know if you'd seen that or not. But no. um, yeah, well, if, and I don't know whether this is uh, true or just wrestling hyperbole. But apparently, Jeff suffered some quite serious uh, internal bleeding after that fall at the end into that table, and he was rushed to hospital throwing up blood. I mean, you take that with a pinch of salt because it is wrestling, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me falling from that height onto that. Jesus. So, yeah, what did you think? Well, first of all, um, not to correct the world's biggest pedant, but you said really unique, and you can't get really unique. Something's either unique or it's not. I just thought I threw that in there because, you know, being uh, being uh, oh. <laughs> Being asses, um, oh, young young Padawan, I've taught you so well. <laughs> Shit, don't be proud of me. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, this is a far cry from TNA Victory Road. A hellacious match. When a table comes into play, one and a half minutes in, you know it's going to be bloody good. And then, like you said, Jeff surfs it into water, and we've seen uh, Ray Mysterio doing that. Oh my god, brilliant. Yeah, it was a nice clash of styles here, kind of Daredevil versus Technician. I do like Randy because he's got a bit of an edge, but, you know, basically he is a technician. There's nothing too flashy. He's got a lot of impactful moves, but, you know, essentially he's he's a poor man's Triple H. Let's, let's call a speed of speed. Um, there's a bit of a slower pace, but the half, half hour they were given was more than enough time to tell a proper story. Um, which I liked. Yeah, that reverse suplex at the open ladder. Uh, yeah, that earlobe. Fucking hell. That that was... Uh... And when you said about Randy's injury, I thought you were going to say about his back, which was busted open from those belt shots. His back was pissing with blood as well. And like you said, PG era, obviously you ca- they're not going to get a bollock in. These are accidental you know, hazards uh, that go with the business. Occupational hazard, if you want. And but yeah, I can't imagine Vince giving him a, an earful for that. But yeah, it, it just really brutal, bloody match. Um, lovely table spot from the cell roof to end things. Just lovely, violent stuff. I thought it was really good. I just like the fact that after all those years, there's still some innovation to be had. You think you've seen everything. And although there might be, you know, small spots in the grand scheme of things, they're still different and new and unique. Like the, Hang on, when was, he, it, was it unique or really unique? Very unique. You, you are, you are very correct. <laughs> I'm doing it deliberately now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I mean, the, there was a move at 450 outside the ring where Jeff did his chair jump kick which we'd usually do to somebody in the corner. 
Um, whereas Orton was against the cage and just ha- that move there is different and, and hadn't seen that before, you know. So, it, yeah, it's, it's good to see innovation, and especially by somebody who's been wrestling for 20 years at this point, you know. He's he's been at the top level for 20 years in a number of different promotions, TNA and WWE, and just still looking to do different things and, and impress the crowd instead of just going through the, the usual routine of moves, which, which I'm impressed by. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, it's now a pay-per-view. Oh, God, you have a great match in Money in the Bank. Hey, hey, let's call a pay-per-view Money in the Bank. Oh, you know, the Helm the Cell's been a legacy for years. We call the pay-per-view it. Everyone's like, you're oversaturating what is a really exciting match that we should only see kind of once a year. But, you know, there were loads of, of moments and spots in that match. And I'm like, fuck, I haven't seen that before. And, you know, oh, another thing of, to, to note, I don't know if you've listened to it yet. Mick Foley's got a new podcast out as well, which is Foley is Pod. Really, <laughs> really good. His first episode is talking about the No Way Out retirement match. Three and a half hours, he proper goes off on a, on a tangent. But my point is, they talk about that match. They talk about the King of the Ring 98 match. Nobody's going to outdo that. That was never the idea. You know, it was always about Foley. You know he was going to do the craziest shit possible. But like you said, it is good that, you know, modern day wrestlers are finding really, really unique, very unique things to do that haven't been done before. So that was good. Liked it. Oh, uh, just before we go, talking of Helm the Cell and Foley's pod, um, he was asked if you could have another Helm the Cell match after No Way Out, did you think of a big spot? Obviously, you were thrown off the first cell, then thrown through the first cell, then thrown through the second cell match. He said, Well, what would your spot be if you had a third Helm the Cell match? Well, you know, proper, proper Helm the Cell match with The Undertaker. And he said, uh, He had this spot. Uh, where he would be on the Undertaker's back on top of the cell and just like Bigelow and Taz, Undertaker would drop backwards and basically plummet both of them through the ring, so through the cell, through the ring. And he said he didn't like the way the No Way Out match looked staged. It looked like he fell on a mattress because the the apron just kind of dented a little bit. Um, So he would actually cut a big section out of it and they proper fall through on the crash mats instead of having the ring kind of dent. But he said, yeah, that would have killed me. He said, I was all up for that. That would have been what I would have done for my next big Helm Cell match with The Undertaker, especially for that feud. And he said, in hindsight, that would have fucking killed me. But <laughs> it's like, Jesus. Like, yeah, my God, no. Um, <laughs> wow. But uh, I don't, yeah, don't no. know what to say about that. I don't know why you would want to take such risks. <laughs> <laughs> Even after the ones he's taken, I mean that that thirty minute match with Undertaker that that will just go down in history and yeah, but, but this was good in its own right. You know, gore aside, the spots were cool and they told a good story and uh, yeah, I think it was uh, it was really good. Oh, yeah. So yeah, on to my second clip of the week from one fast paced, energetic match to another. This is Ray Phoenix versus Dante Martin at AEW Dynamite. Tremendous show of appreciation from this sold-out crowd for both these athletes. Ray Phoenix maybe for that Blackfire driver. And oh no, Dante countered it. The hook is in. No, 
nice impact. You yes. can hear it. Solid contact. So as you know, um, I've been spoiled for choice now for matches. And what I tend to do now is take photos of my TV halfway through a match uh, to remind myself to pick it. Um, and although this match was clipped, um, I thought, fuck, you know, this, this needs to go on a pod. So I watched this match uh, on ITV here in the UK very recently and immediately, yeah, just took a photo of my screen. Uh, unfortunately, we, we are missing a bit of the action, but my God, these two, in my view, are the future of AEW. This this is just unreal action, in, in my opinion. They make a high cross body drop look absolutely amazing. This was a qualifying match in the Owen Hart Foundation tournament, uh, which in it in itself was a really kind of nice way to honor the late great Owen Hart. Um, but this was an amazing showcase. And and the tournament itself was a great way of wrestlers that wouldn't normally face each other to, to face off, which is what I really like about tournament style matches. Um, yeah, this this is dream. This is dream match. Uh, I mean, that power bomb into a cutter from Phoenix, both landing on their feet, following that huge top rope Spanish fly. I mean, yeah, they, they were there were loads of kind of spots. Unfortunately, it did kind of cut off at the start, but only a short match. I love these two. Unfortunately, Dante's not very good on the mic, so they're not pushing him. If that lad could talk and have a bit of charisma about him, he'd be, he'd be the next champion because he moves like gravity doesn't affect him. Um, and Ray Phoenix obviously won half of the Lucha Bros, an amazing tag team. Um, he doesn't need to speak, even though he's, he's you know, Mexican born and bred. So he has <laughs> their manager like translates for them. So they'll kind of talk in Spanish and then he'll say, oh, Phoenix said, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, what, what do you think of these two mofos? Good. I mean, this was a good, fast paced back and forth match. Lots of action, lots of beautiful, I don't want to say choreography, but just, you know, ring craft, I suppose. The black fire driver, the counter, that was yeah. really nice. The double top rope move was odd because it went nowhere, but it was well delivered. It was an impressive feat to have the two of them stood on the turnbuckle and then do something at the same time. I would have preferred it if it had some impact. I see what they were doing. It was almost like they countered each other and cancelled each other out. Yeah. But yeah, that, that was good because it's hard enough to stand on a turnbuckle as, as one person. If, if you're both up there together and for a period of time, that that is quite impressive. And for them to both essentially do a moonsault and both land on their feet, you said impressive feet as well. I thought that was a very good pun intentional pun. Yes, both uh, meanings of the <laughs> word were, were impressive. But yeah, they both look to be really good. Um you know, Ray Phoenix, he's been in loads of Lucha uh, Libre promotions, hasn't he? I've, I've heard that name before for, for many years, Phoenix. Yeah, Lucha Underground. I mean, he looks exactly like Ray Mysterio, didn't he? He's got the first, same first name, tattoos, same look about him. But, oh God, he's just amazing. He was off for months and months with that brutal arm injury, which we saw live, his arm bent back in itself. Oh, it's just every time I see him, I'm like, dude, you are so underrated. And then that's what annoys me. And oh, we haven't even mentioned the bloody MJF pipe bomb as well in wrestling. He proper went off on one, you know, to Tony Khan saying, keep all your money, mate, because you're just throwing it at ex WWE wrestlers. 
um, yeah, it's like, why is Punk the champion? Yes, he was good back in the day and he's, he's a grizzled veteran, but you've got these two kind of climbing up the ranks, but not really. And I'm like, oh, come on. There's a, if this was a main event, given 20 minutes, half an hour, I'd be more than happy. Yeah, well, I think they, they Dan, from what I've read about Dante Martin, since you sent this clip, they, they see him as a future champion, or lots of people see him as a, a potential future champion. Yeah, I mean, you've got the likes of Hook as well, which just has his son, and he barely says two words, but he's got a really impressive moveset. They've got lots of young, homegrown talent, which I really think they need to nurture now, and almost put the ex-WWE guys on the back foot, because they've had their time, and I remember Tony commenting on, you know, why don't they have a developmental scene? And he said, TV tapings are my developmental. That is a chance for them to go out, work the crowd, work the cameras. You know, they're not in a training center with 15 rings in a warehouse, just learning to bump 500 times a day. That is their developmental. That's where they get live feedback from the crowd, whether you're shit or shit hot. And yeah, he just needs to nurture that now, I think. Um, well, there's four, aren't there, really? I think you've got MJF, Sammy Guevara, uh, like Dante. Is it Dante? No, Dante, yeah. not this Dante. Darby Allen, I meant, is the other one I was thinking of. Yeah. Then maybe maybe Dante, if he's good enough, or Jungle Boy. You know, they, there's those, the next lot are going to be the faces of, of AEW. If they can just kind of manoeuvre those ex-WWE stars out of the way. Yeah, and, and Hook as well. I think if... If, those, if all of those young guys stick around, they're not going to get fired. I'd be amazed if they were. If they stick around and just wait it out, pay their dues, as you will, then the old guys will start to retire and kind of toddle on off, which will give them more of a limelight. They, I think they just need to be patient. But the 10-minute the matches they're having on TV, are some of the best wrestling I've seen in years. And were they given more time to shine at the pay-per-view, the longer matches, fucking hell. I mean, double or nothing was just start to finish. It's like four and a half hours. It was just incredible. Huh? Ooh, listen to this pod, so, you know. Oh, yeah. Okay, so on to my second clip, the last one for this episode. And uh, after the brutality of my first clip, I needed some eye bleach. So I went for <laughs> total nostalgia. The best of WWF American Wrestling. WrestleMania. SummerSlam. Survivor Series. Royal Rumble. UK Rampage. And many more specialist releases. Available only through Silver Vision, the official distributor of the World Wrestling Federation video. So if it's body slam, side suplexes, clothesline, drop kicks and power slams that you're after increase your library of wwf videos with some of these spectacular annual wwf events yes this is well it's the sound of my childhood basically this is the wwf silver vision video intro so on our early episodes, when we did the Wrestling Through the Ages feature, we discussed on, on one episode in particular how difficult it was for us to watch wrestling without having any access to satellite TV. So all we had were the VHS tapes 
that we could get hold of, some of which we had, you know, people had taped off the TV for us. But the others, we had about three or four Silver Vision WWF official videos. Some of them were pay-per-views. Some of them were kind of compilations, like Hulk Hogan's Greatest Matches or something like that. But all of them had this intro or versions of it at the start. And like I said, I mean, this was the sound of wrestling in my childhood. And I'm not even joking when I say that I will still randomly hum or whistle the tune from this at least once a month. <laughs> and I bet your daughters do as well. If you if you do it in front of them, they'll be doing it next week, not realising why they're doing it. Absolutely. I'll, I'll just be somewhere. <laughs> I might think of wrestling and I'll go... <laughs> Ah, just so good. And this made WWF look so exciting. I mean, just the variety of moves that were on show here, you know, and some really good ones as well. That back body drop at the beginning was brilliant. (laughs) There was some some really good good fight flyer moves. Like, you you would be lucky if you saw three or four of these throughout a pay-per-view back in the 80s. So the jam them all in this one clip. Oh, my God, this is spectacular. Uh, I mean, the the only bit that put me off was was Rick Rude's slow, lingering ear kiss to the camera at the end. But, I mean, let's let's gloss over that and just think (laughs) about... Ah, so good. (laughs) Yeah, just that riff. I, I was just instantly transported back this is like nostalgia to the max i was a kid again sitting on beanbags with you watching our worn ass wwe vhs tapes like you said i I distinctly remember us owning well we talked about it what do we own we owned a summer slam i remember us owning a summer slam and a few compilation vhs's at the time and that was about it wasn't it yeah, I think it was SummerSlam 91. It was whenever the Gulf War was on, because I remember Rowdy Roddy Piper saying uh, in his intro, we're, welcome to SummerSlam, where bagpipes are hot and Baghdad's not. And that's always <laughs> stuck with me, because I thought, that's a clever line. But um, yeah, it was when Sergeant Slaughter became an Iraqi sympathizer for some reason. Um, yeah, there was, a, there was a Hulk Hogan kind of best of, which had yeah. some interesting matches in it as well. Oh, we just watched those to death. Those and the Hasbro toys were my childhood. That ring we had with the toys and then every birthday and Christmas getting wrestling toys from everyone. And we're like, how did you know? Uh, because it's all you bloody talk about. It's all you watch. It literally, that warped VHS tape. Oh, I mean, I know what you're saying about the moves, but looking at it now, we, we, I, I was pissing myself just seeing suplexes, power slams and drop kicks over and over and over again. It was like, it's brilliant after watching that uh, Dante match to this, because they're just like, fucking hell, three moves. And as we discussed many times, the crowd was more rabid watching those three moves over and over than pretty much any match nowadays. Um but uh, yeah, all the, all the comments on the video as well were saying how much of a trip down memory lane this was. Um, of course, Silver Vision was later replaced by Fremantle here in the UK, um, who continued churning out WWE DVD releases, much to my happiness. I, I had a look in, on my, my DVD shelf because I'm still an old school physical collector. And yeah, there were a lot of Silver Vision DVDs that I own, but then it went to Fremantle and... Uh, I've got a good mix of both, uh, but oh god, yeah, it just it, it don't go better than that. I found the video that I think we watched the most. Um, it was Hulkamania Forever, 
um, a VHS with some of Hulk Hogan's biggest matches um, from 89 to 90. So you had him versus the Macho King. You had him versus the Genius. And then there was the Ultimate Warrior main event, uh, WrestleMania, which we saw, which we featured on this um, podcast before. Then the Earthquake match. Yeah. Uh, then the Brother Love Show incident, and then another earthquake match, um, and then against uh, Ted DiBiase, and then Tugboat and uh, Hogan versus Earthquake and Dina Bravo. Classic. Oh, God. We literally wore that fucker out until it was literally warping. We just, every chance we get, beanbags, too close to the TV, let's be fair. I don't know why our dad allowed it, but he did. And, uh, yeah. And then we press play, and Ah, legendary. No, brilliant. The very best of American wrestling. (laughs) With the very best three moves shown over and over again. No, it's one of those clips that I laughed at because I thought, oh, God, if he'd have shown this at the start of the pod, again, I'd have been like, oh, it's not even a match. It's just a little advert. Now I'm like, more of those, please. I want, I want more of these. Just brilliant. Just instantly snaps you back in time, doesn't it? It's mad. Proper feels. Yeah, it's, it is. And it's, it's because it is constantly on my mind, that, that earworm. It's been in there. So I've never got rid of it and I never will. Well, that's what started it all. And that, you know, look at us now. 75 years later, still talking about wrestling. I've got an AEW t-shirt on. You've got a wrestling my brother t-shirt on. Still loving it. And uh, yeah, it, it'll never go away. It's wrestling for life, bro. You going to uh, give us the outro in the style of the man that narrated that video? Uh, I can't remember him that that well. I could do it in, in that era of Vince McMahon, but I've done that before. We've done that before. No, let's do it in that voice. Uh, we've been wrestling with my brother. <laughs> what the fuck do you sound like? Don't know. Don't know. I'll leave it there. We, you know who we are. You know where to find us. Um, if if you're a new listener, welcome. If you're an old listener, uh, welcome back. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Get them all on board. We're on Twitter at Russell Bros Pod, and we're on all the podcast platforms. Just do it because if you like pipe bombs, a la MJF, we fucking drop those pipe bombs every episode, bro. We're literally, yeah. Shooting the shit. Usually on each other, slagging each other off or something. Sure. But, you know, that that's just brotherly bants. Hashtag brotherly bants. So, yeah, wrestling my brother. That's us. Signing off for another pod. Thank you for listening. Take it easy, my sheezies. Bye. Wrestling with my brother. We got a podcast, yeah. Wrestling with my brother.